Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. Spring in the Carolinas represents renewal, optimism, and a new start. And it's just plain fun to be in the Carolinas during the spring and summer. I am Chris William, and welcome again to the most widely watched and longest running program on Carolina business policy and public affairs. This program is no different. We will unpack these issues facing us here in this spring. And also later on, the CEO of one of the nation's oldest black-led banks, it is MF Bank in Durham. James Sills will join us, and we hope you stay with us beginning right now. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, healthcare, rural churches, and children's services. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Holly Childs, President and CEO of Wilmington Downtown Inc. Mark Farris, President and CEO of the Greenville Area Development Corporation. And special guest, James Sills, President and CEO of M&F Bank. Welcome again to our program, and we're glad to have Mark Ferris back from upstate South Carolina. We also welcome Holly Childs from Wilmington in the Port City in North Carolina. Holly, uh, welcome to the program. I, I, I don't want to be too personal, Holly, but you know, you've got a fresh set of eyes. I mean, you literally just arrived in the Carolinas. What's it like compared to what you were? And please don't play to your audience. <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I do have a very fresh set of eyes. I actually moved in on New Year's Eve. So uh, I tell the mayor that uh, I was the one that put us over the top for being the number one inbound destination in the country. Um, but it was it was my final number that uh, that rounded that out. But uh, yeah, it's, it's great. You know, I think Wilmington, it's the right time. Um, there's a lot of things coming together. We have a lot of uh, uh, just really good dynamics around development right now. And uh, so there's a lot of opportunity. I'm, I'm excited about what I see. And uh, I've been to, um, not to Wilmington other than vacation, but I've been in North Carolina a couple of times in my past. I went to Wake Forest. So I've spent a little time in North Carolina. Okay. Yeah, you know a little bit about it. Mark, you get the first pitch. Let's let's talk about COVID. I mean, how can we not, right? This thing has been living with us now for months and and just the the, the feeling and the, and the oppressiveness of the, of the public health crisis. But do you get a sense now, Mark, people have been anxious, businesses want to open, the vaccine is being widely uh, deployed now, uh, the, the, the spring and summer months are coming upon us. Is, would you expect, and I hesitate to use this term, that we would be back to normal within 60 or 90 days or some semblance of it? Yeah, I would say no. Uh, certainly, I think there's going to be an attempt to get uh, back to a new normal. I certainly don't think it's going to be the way it was. I guess I've seen some some events being scheduled for, for, for summer, maybe late summer, more more likely fall. Uh, a lot of the events, at least in the spring, seem to have been pushed back to the fall, at least some that I've seen. So 
So that, I think there'll be a, a slower return of confidence, especially in things like tourism and travel. Uh, but uh, that may take as much as a, another six months to a year to rebound. But uh, but I think overall that there's a slow bit of confidence being restored. And right, we're all frustrated. We, we're anxious to get back and the in-person meetings. I know certainly I am, but there is some 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 trust that's got to be restored. Holly, is there some sense or, or evidence of this activity building uh, to a noticeable degree for you? Yeah, I think if you would have seen us on uh, St. Patrick's Day, you would have thought that uh, there wasn't a, a pandemic at all, unfortunately. People were so excited. I think it's the pent-up demand of people wanting to get out. And um, we've seen our tourism numbers, of course, ma major decline. Um, not, it, it's been interesting because our numbers are up so much at the beaches that, uh, that that's carried the downtown and convention center district. So people have been, uh, the, the you know hotels and the tourism and the beaches has been uh, through the roof as people kind of want to go places where they can space out um, and get outside with nature. So, you know, I think it's gonna be a different kind of uh, a new normal, right? Where people are looking for opportunities to get together, but uh, in, in more mindful ways. Is it concerning when you see those crowds at the beaches and even even along the, the boardwalks along the beaches around so, safe distancing, or is that not as big of an issue and it's more about a personal uh, experience now? No, I, I think it is a concern. I mean, I, I think certainly whenever I go over there, it, it, it concerns me um, that people aren't um, taking it as seriously, particularly people that uh, may live in those areas and they're kind of used to that and they're used to the crowds and they're, they're pretending, you know, you go over there and you see you're one of 100 people that are around that has a mask on. Um, it, it's concerning, yes. I, I think that if people would just hold on a little longer, you know, just, just another, like you said, 60 or 90 days, then, you know, people have vaccines and, and be safer. But until that point, to see that kind of activity is scary. You know, Mark um, and, and Holly, like you both to weigh in on this, the things that portend uh, real growth and real development are things like commercial activity. Do And I'm, I'm talking about commercial development activity. Do, is there, when I think of Greenville in the upstate of South Carolina, of course, Greenville Spartanburg has been a go-go growth area for a while now, but specific to Greenville, Unity Park has been on the dockets to expand toward the west side and, and, and take what has been not a desirable area and really make it part of it. But I'm using Unity Park as a proxy for development, will we see more of those larger scale development projects now come back and be uh, re-energized? Yeah, I think so. Certainly the, the COVID has shown us all that we appreciate outdoor spaces. So Unity Park and Greenville, certainly the beaches in Wilmington are, are important to people, more important maybe than they realize. So they'll, for, for us at least, there'll be a, a focus on uh, uh, land use uh, both the city and the, the county of Greenville have new land use plans. We're trying to meet the, the growth demands appropriately by providing some of those open spaces. The Swamp Rabbit Trail extension uh, is exciting for us. And, and Chris, companies want that. The companies that we recruit, the corporate headquarters, the, the office, uh, especially those kind of operations, they love that, being uh, available to, to, to get outside and to access open space areas. So. So I've seen more of that kind of development. Certainly the commercial is gonna continue. We've got, I think another 2,500 multifamily units planned and, and, and under construction right now in Greenville, that's gonna continue. But, uh, but yeah, I think there was gonna be a, a greater emphasis on creating that sense of place that every community wants. Holly, are you gonna have enough development in, in, in Wilmington and in the Port City to be able to fill that space? We do, you know, it's, 
it's it's uh, amazing to me the size of Wilmington and I've been in bigger cities like you said I've kind of done a bit of a world tour before getting here but I was in Pittsburgh and Cincinnati uh, previously and you know those cities are, are two to three times the size of Wilmington but the amount of development that's going on here particularly around um, the riverfront and the downtown it, it's unbelievable I mean just just as Mark said you know we're, we're getting um, hundreds and then you know uh, just unit after unit project after project of new apartments new condos, new residential. And it's because of the energy of downtown. I mean, I think a lot of people want that. Um, they want the, the energy of a city, but they love a smaller city now because the bigger cities have become a more dangerous place um, with COVID. So, you know, I think it's really played to Wilmington's strengths in, in that way. And um, we've seen a lot of investment too in downtown as far as outdoor and open spaces. So I like, you know, Mark talking about the trails. I think that's vital to, uh, to economic development attraction. Um, we've seen uh, the city invest in the parks. They're getting ready to do some major upgrades for our river walk, which was just voted second, you know, number two river walk in the country. I don't, I don't know how we got beat by Detroit, but I'm trying to get over that. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of investment going into um, outdoor spaces and, and places for people that are, are lifestyle amenities, because we know, you know, just as Mark and all economic development folks know that people can work from anywhere now. We've, we've seen that uh, throughout this pandemic. So, so we want to make a special place for them. You know, that, that term, if you build it, they will come, seems to have applied to the Carolinas. Mark, uh, Google announced a couple of big things in the last couple of weeks. A half a billion dollar investment, or rather, I should say, reinvestment in the Berkeley County Google site down in, 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 the low, um, in the low country across the state from you. And also they announced a thousand, potentially a thousand person engineering hub in Durham, which of course is a hot city and Metro as well. So does, does, is this, is again, is this a proxy for, for more things to come or is, is the Google announcement, Google announcements uh, one off? No, I think there's a, of course, you know, the, the, the idea that we would have more uh, emphasis on uh, data center cybersecurity, that's going to continue, no doubt about it. And, and certainly we're going to see more of that development. There's a theory in economic development called agglomeration, which says, you know, once you have one type of industry, you're likely to get another similar type of industry and then build on that. So I think those communities will see that. Certainly, I think we'll all experience it, even in Greenville. We just announced our first new tier three data center a couple of months ago, a company called DC Block. Uh, and, and I think that's certainly going to be a trend that accelerates. Uh, just quickly, Mark, quick follow-up. You think South Carolina developers and, and commerce have learned a, a, a tough lesson around, not that they didn't think about this before, but automotive and aerospace clearly two industries that took it on the chin over the last 24 uh, months or so. Is that, is South Carolina expanding the portfolio of industries? Uh, yes, sir. And, and I think we're po poised, Chris, to, to, to build off of that. So um, in, in Greenville, we have the CUI car, yeah. Center for Automotive Research. We need to figure out what the next steps in mobility are going to be. And we have that to help us, right? So, so that's going to continue. I think the evolution of automobiles is going to continue towards that mobility factor, and and we're going to be benefiting from that. And certainly, commercially, it's gone down, Chris. But you know, defense is, is not at all. You know, we've got F-16 now being uh, assembled in Greenville, and and uh, and the orders for it have been really high. So the defense side of things in the aviation industry, at least, has, has been doing pretty well. MNF Bank in Durham is not just the second oldest bank, black-led black bank in this country, but it is well over 100 years old now and is meaningful. 
in many ways and not just for a diverse population. Joining us now is the President Chief Executive Officer of MNF Bank and MNF Bank Corp. We welcome James Sills. President Sills, welcome to the dialogue. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be here with you today. Sir, let's let's start with banking in general. 2020 had to be tough on a lot of banks, not just because of low interest rates, but everything else that happened in society and the culture. How would you describe 2020 and, and MNF's uh, bank performance last year? You know, with the pandemic and all the social unrest, uh, believe it or not, we actually had a very good year. Our total assets were up 16% or $44 million. Our total loans increased uh, 3%. And overall, um, our delinquency was uh, below our peer groups and significantly below um, 1% for the year. So even though it was a challenging year, we actually had a very good year in a challenging environment. How do you, how do you leverage that for this year and beyond? We're, we're riding a, a wave of momentum. We actually did open up almost uh, 2,700 accounts in 2020. And um, I'm really excited about uh, 2021 especially with the, the recent um, uh, capital investments from the four largest banks. So that'll allow us to grow to approximately uh, $430 million. Mm-hmm. I want to open this up now for questions. Holly, question? Yeah, so Jim, it's great to meet you, first of all. I'm, I'm glad you could join us here. And, uh, and you know, I, I think I, I really admire your bank. I mean, I, I certainly did a little bit of research when, when finding out about you coming onto the show and uh, that you've had 25 years as outstanding um, Community Reinvestment Act um, rating. So, I mean, could you talk a little bit about how you've, uh, how you've managed to hold on to that? What, what some of the initiatives have been that have been important in doing that? Um, because you know we're we're really anxious here to to reach out to the community and do more community development type projects, and I, I'd love to hear your thoughts about uh, about how to do that. Thank you, Holly, for that question. Uh, as you stated, we've had an outstanding CRA rating for over twenty five plus years. We're actively engaged in the community. We lend to low and moderate income areas all throughout the state of North Carolina, so that helps uh, achieve that type of rating. Uh, We also provide uh, access to capital to all different kinds of businesses, specifically small and medium-sized businesses, nonprofits, and churches. And we perform a lot of uh, financial literacy and and outreach in the communities that we serve. And so that's how we're able to maintain that rating for the Mm -hmm. over 25 plus years. Mark? Jim, Jim, you've got a a great background in IT, certainly, and your MNF folks have a have a fantastic digital platform, but yet you serve some, some rural and underprivileged areas of, uh, of your service territory. You find the lack of internet broadband uh, an obstacle to creating that customer service model that you have been known for? It's, it's a challenge because you know everybody doesn't have a smartphone. Everyone does not have access to the internet, um, but you know we still have our branch locations, but you would be amazed that our customer base is adopting the mobile technologies and online banking and utilizing our uh, ATMs. And so given the pandemic, it really forced a lot of consumers to just think differently in terms of what are other alternative channels, delivery channels that they can utilize to to obtain their banking information. Jim, you you know, you almost, and it's not very technical, but 
MNF success around community reinvestment, MNF success about penetration into not just lower income, but diverse neighborhoods almost makes it seem like it's easy to do. Many of the larger banks won't touch some of the lending or, or even some of the traditional banking because they're worried about margins or they're worried about risk or they're worried about loan payback. How, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do you navigate yourself through that to be a good banker and a good steward of not just the community, but also of the stakeholder and the shareholder in the bank? Chris, it's, it's a challenge every day. Um, we really focus on um, providing a lot of handholding to our customers. And we think that's the difference. People in general are uh, intimidated by financial institutions. And so I think it's incumbent on us to provide, uh, you know, financial literacy information, a lot of handholding, and if there's a, if, if we're unable to, you know, make the loan, so to speak, we need to tell that person why we're unable to do it at this time and what they may need to do to maybe improve their credit or their financial situation. So when they come back to us or another financial institution, they'll be more successful the next time. Mm -hmm. Holly. Holly, go ahead. Follow up to the uh, to the last question, Jim. I, I wanted to kind of dig a little deeper too into your particular if there are mechanisms or, or methods you could share with us um, on rollout to uh, to communities, particularly uh, communities of color, um, minority and women-owned businesses. We're really um, hyper focused now on trying to make sure we've got a, a micro loan program we're getting ready to roll out at WDI. And you know, previously we've had large capital improvement loan programs that have benefited developers, but we really haven't been as focused on small businesses. And for us, it's important now post COVID to really realign that money. So we're taking the set aside that we had for our larger program and turning it into, we just got approval by council on March 2nd to turn it into a microloan program to help bolster small businesses. And we want to really reach out to minority communities, to, uh, to, to women in businesses. And, and is there a specific way that you have found to be successful in reaching those target populations and trying to make sure that everyone's actively engaged? Uh, Holly, we are a uh, CDFI, which is a community development financial institution. And so institutions like ours, we partner with nonprofit partners because a lot of times they're very connected to the target customer that you're looking to try to help. And I, I just think that's critical if you're trying to um, uh, work with people in the community that may not be uh, the ones that you see every day, that you partner with uh, some strategic partners with um, nonprofits in your specific uh, community. And I know that uh, that certainly a lot of communities that you serve are doing some some innovative things when it comes to encouraging minority business development. What are some of the more notable ones that you you've seen and work with? Mark, uh, I think the biggest thing is really uh, the providing the um, financial literacy and also. Uh, if there are specific programs that are out in the marketplace, like the Paycheck Protection Program, and really setting up uh, Zoom calls or webinars to really help people understand the, uh, the rules of the game, so to speak, and get that capital to them. Uh, so that's worked very effectively for us. Um, again, we do a lot of outreach. We do a lot of seminars for uh, community groups. 
And uh, we also, before the pandemic, we used to do a lot of tours. And so we'd invite people into the bank just to say, hey, this is what we offer. These are our products and services. And this is how a bank can actually assist you in reaching your financial goals. Uh, Jim, former life of yours, and I hesitate even to call it a former life because you have a deep bench of knowledge around information and information technology. You were the CIO for the state of Delaware. Um, so you, you, you straddle this idea of being a traditional banker, if you don't mind me explaining it this way, traditional banker, but also someone that understands the, the fintech uh, side of that relationship. And fintech has come under fire because traditional banks say they don't, the fintech companies don't have nearly the oversight and the, and the, the regulation um, that the, the, the banks do, the traditional banks do, so it's not a fair playing field. But So comment on that and comment on how you find this balance between being a, in the fintech space possibly and also not losing what a traditional bank does bring to a, a, a dinner table. You know, based on my background, I actually have to play in both spaces. And, um, you know, as a traditional bank, I want to make sure that uh, our customers have access to, you know, various apps that will allow them to access our products and services, but also improve the customer experience. And as you pointed out, a lot of the fintechs have that secret sauce of uh, making that connection with the customers a little bit more uh, efficiently uh, than some of the traditional banks. And so I just think it's important that all bankers embrace technology because as you're all aware, we're eventually going to do everything on our smartphones. And so I think banks need to embrace fintech and identify the right types of fintech partners that make sense for their bank and their customer base. Do you, Jim, do you think fintech can be, I don't want to use the term saving grace, but can it help, uh, you know, traditional banks say that we've got so much oversight, government regulation is exhaustive and fintech is out here running circles around us. So could there be some way that traditional banks uh, lose some of that oversight and fintech picks up some of that regulation? What, what does that look like in the future? I think in the future, you will see more mergers of fintechs with, uh, with traditional banks. Uh, for example, SoFi just purchased uh, a bank out in California mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago. So I think you'll see more of that particular model on a go forward basis. Mm -hmm. I do think the regula uh, regulators will be providing a little bit more oversight on some of the fintech um, companies. A lot of them are trying to obtain um, what they call fintech charters. So that will subject them to some additional regulation in the future. Okay, Mark. Jim, uh, what does the next generation of depositors look like at MF Bank, and, and what are you all doing to attract them? Yeah, I love that question, Mark. You know, we're a community bank, and we do have a number of seniors that are that make up our customer base. And so, uh, for example, we started a millennial advisory board, and so this is a group of uh, individuals uh, all throughout the state. Uh, that advise us on marketing, uh, uh, social media, fintech, and just what we need to do to attract uh, that type of uh, demographic to our institution. So that's been a best practice. Uh, we actually met with our Millennial Advisory Board uh, last night, and they just provide so many great insights on what our bank should be doing to attract younger people to our institution. That's a great idea. Holly, we have about two minutes left. 
I, I think that's a great idea. We uh, actually just hired a couple of uh, UNCW interns for our office and the energy and the ideas around marketing and Instagram and things that I certainly never would have thought to do to market uh, Wilmington downtown has been, uh, you know, just incredible. Um, I wanted to ask you just about, you know, speaking of, of government, uh, both good and bad uh, government uh, interference or, or participation in our lives. Um, could you speak a little bit about the uh, PPP program and kind of how you've reached out and marketed that to small and medium businesses and the results that you've seen of that program and, and maybe anything that you think we should be doing differently with the PPP program or more of? Yeah, the PPP program, I actually thought was a great program. Uh, specifically for our bank. Um, it, it provided access to capital to uh, small and medium-sized businesses, nonprofits, and churches. And that really was our customer base. Um, although we're located in the five largest markets of North Carolina, we made loans in 16 different cities in North Carolina. And also there's a, a, a minority-owned bank in South Carolina, and they did the same thing, Optus Bank. Uh, but uh, it, it's... It was a combination of answering the phone, uh, hosting uh, Zoom calls uh, to, to let people know about all the different uh, forms and uh, the, uh, the documents that are necessary to actually apply for the loan. And, you know, we're doing uh, the loan again. We're doing the, the program again for round two. But last year, because of our efforts, we were able to save about 1,400 jobs in North Carolina. So it, it was a program that I think was... Uh, was pretty good for North Carolinians and uh, South Carolinians. Sorry to interrupt you. Jim, thank you for joining us. We're out of time. That always that always happens. We get momentum going and we stop. But uh, we're, we're thrilled you came on the program. Congratulations, not just the big investments from the large banks, but you got your wind at your back. And, and we hope that continues for you and also the communities you're in. But I hope you'll come back so we can keep sure. this dialogue going. Thank you very much for uh, having me today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Holly, welcome. Good to have you in North Carolina. Hope you do well. Mark, always nice to have you. Best of luck in the upstate of South Carolina. And uh, good to see you all. If you have any questions or comments, or you'd like to watch any of our uh, uh, hundreds of shows, go to carolinabusinessreview.org and make a comment. Thank you. And until next week, good night. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you.